Welcome back to another episode of Our Trumpet Life, a podcast focused on teaching, learning, and sharing all things trumpet in a positive atmosphere. I'm Ben McCarthy, one of the co-hosts, and I'm a teacher and performer in the Virginia Beach, Chesapeake area of Virginia. And I'm Derek Watson, a freelancer in the northern Colorado, Denver area. And I'm Chris Navarrete. I'm the director of bands over at the California State University of Chico. And I'm David Moore, instructor of trumpet at Milliken University and a freelancer in the central Illinois area. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about artistic projects, creative projects, whatever you want to call it. Essentially just discussing how it is that we develop these ideas why we develop them, and the impact that they have on us as musicians. Let's get to it. So I went on a walk yesterday. I was walking my dog, Reggie. And uh, yes, I take him on a long walk for his sake, but also for my sake. I usually use this time to zone out or just watch him smell everything because <laughs> that's what he does. But to relax the mind, more importantly. And... You know, 20, 30 minutes roll in. It's it's quite nice and very meditative. And as I am being present in the moment and not thinking about anything and just listening and absorbing, I realize my mind starts creating music out of nowhere. And I know that sounds a little weird, but it just, I start humming <laughs> or I'll start, I'll hear a pattern in the air, whether it's a bird making a noise or some doors being slammed way down the street or something like that. And it kind of threw me into this idea of why am I not writing music? Why has that halted? Why, why am I not pursuing this creative inspiration that I just got from walking my dog right now. You know, I think it's important for us to be creative with our artistic abilities, whether they are in a compositional way or an organizational way or putting content out there that's already been created way or creating something super new that's never been done before. I'm just thinking like, what are some new things that I can venture into? What are some cool things that I can pull this group of people and this group of people together to make something new? So I like this question, like, why am I not doing these things? And to kind of further that question, I've had the question of why did I not continue to do these things? So I, I think we can maybe all relate to the excitement of a new idea or a new project when we, you know, we really want to dig in and create something, whether it be in music or not, just something that is, it's creative and it relaxes, like you said, it relaxes the mind and that, that whole process to me, I find very exciting. And I'm usually very good about diving into things initially. And what I find difficult is continuing. So let me give an example. I recently, within the last couple years, invested in getting some recording equipment, getting a DAW, which is a, a digital audio workstation, so that I can start creating electronic music and integrating either trumpet into it or voice or anything, just, you know, creating music. And so it's, it's a form of composing, and it is composing, but it's not the traditional on a staff that you would think of. So 
I really dug into that. I enjoyed it. I created a couple things and then I just kind of left it for a while. And every now and then I'll go back to it, but it's like, why did I not continue? Right. And so I think this question of, you know, why don't I is an important question because ultimately I think that it allows you to venture into a project that can be very good for you. It can be good in a lot of ways, specifically, like we mentioned, it being relaxing. But the biggest barrier to me when I dwell on the reasons why I fall out of these habits is not knowing how to proceed. So in this example that I used, creating electronic music, typically I come across a barrier and it's like I start to work through it and at some point, either it's too time consuming to really work through, or I think, oh, I can't do that. And it's usually something around like sound editing or even sound design with electronic music that I'm like, whoa, okay, this is more involved than I ever anticipated. And you can use this and relate it to any, any other thing that you, you're thinking of, any other project that you're doing. But I think typically there's that barrier where you, you run into it and it's like, oh, this is going to require either A, skills that I don't have yet, or B, a lot of time that I don't know if I want to commit to doing this thing. So to me, those are some barriers. I'm sure there are others, but it's kind of, again, getting into that whole fear of the unknown or rather just like not feeling competent enough to continue. I was just going to ask, Chris, is that how you feel too? Is that something you experience? Yes, definitely. That the fear of the unknown, uh, I've learned some strategies on how to remedy that fear, at least reel it in to the point where it's not so much of an unknown or it's still an unknown, but cause it always changes. <laughs> uh, but at least I can set a goal to the end of that project, whatever it is. But if I could elaborate lightly, this a good friend of mine, Ryan Lepic, did something in his undergrad that has stuck with me so far. He comes to me one day out of nowhere, just says it out loud. I'm going to start composing. I'm going to I'm going to get better at composing. And I'm like, cool. All right. Awesome. And when most people say that you hear a lot of people say that I just want to start. I'm going to I'm going to be a composer. I'm going to start writing. Okay. So they'll crank out a tune, maybe two tunes. And for him, he was secure enough with his shortcomings of, of his abilities as a composer that he wrote something every day. He did it every day for 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever he set aside, at least a certain number, but he wrote, wrote every day. And uh, whether it's a continuation of the tune that he worked on prior or he just wrote something completely new. Whatever time's up, that's what I got done. And I know my professors have told me that strategy before, but he did that. And he did that. He committed to it for that whole semester. And then by the end, <laughs> he wrote some really, he was able to write some pretty cool stuff. Those two things for sure have rung in my my mind is being able to just to set 10 minutes a day because anybody can do 10 minutes a day but it's the part of us that doesn't want to just leave it at 10 minutes a day is the hard part at least that's hard for me 
that's really hard for me. I want to do it for like hours until it's like to a certain point and then stop. But maybe that's the part that I, I'm messing up. I don't know. That that was just the first thing when you said that, Ben, that was going through my mind. It's like, oh, man, I can relate to that. Well, it's like, you know, we this day and age, we live in a culture that's like, get it now, get it fast. And it's so easy to fall into that mindset of like, okay, I want to be a great composer, but I want it now. Like, I want to just start digging into amazing compositions now. And then you start into a project and it's like, whoa, there is a lot here. There's a lot of skills that I need to develop in order to get to that point. And the reality of it is if you set aside 10 minutes a day, I mean, that's not a hard thing to do. If you just set aside 10 minutes a day, that builds towards the greater good. And so you might not be, you know, the next great composer overnight, but 10 minutes a day and 10 years down the road, you you may be doing some incredibly enjoyable and rewarding compositions that you could have never really imagined or accomplished had you not done that. I want to push back a little bit on some. I mean, I think your point is very clear and rings true to me <clears throat> but you said that 10 minutes isn't hard to do 10 minutes a day is not hard to do and i when i think about it more you know i'm like okay yeah i get that we all have 10 minutes a day somewhere that we likely choose to use to you know you know to waste 10 minutes but i i almost think of it that it's a it's simple to do but i don't it's not necessarily easy to do because we have all of these barriers is what Chris has been calling it. And I think that, you know, I mean, Chris is, Chris deals with this. And from what you said earlier, Ben, I think you deal with this and I deal with this, this tendency that we have to want everything to be at us, to be at a certain level. Like if we're going to do something, if we're going to compose, we want it to be great. If we're going to make electronic music, we want it to be great music. And Ben, you were talking about how you go into, you have a lot of enthusiasm at the beginning and then something pops up where you realize, oh, for me to do what I have in my head or to the level I want is going to require X amount of whatever and X being a very high amount of that thing, whether that's time, effort, learning a completely new skill just to do one aspect of the project. And and then we're just sitting there button heads with our ego. And we run it and, you know, we've all, we all do that. And then so what happens is I think we know that's going to happen or subconsciously at least we know that it's going to happen. And what's it do? It makes it so that 10 minutes a day is not easy. Because we fight ourselves to even start 10 minutes. And we just run into those barriers. <laughs> it's so true. Gosh. Even even you hearing you guys say it back to me, even though I just said that, is like, oh my gosh. It's like I'm having these memories of all these projects I used to that I had started that I'd never completed, right? So I'm gonna paint a picture real quick it would be hard for us to make our bed halfway, wouldn't it? Because we're asking ourselves, if we're going to do this 10 minute thing a day, it's, we're not completing the project. Imagine yourself getting, waking up in the morning and you make your bed halfway and you leave it there all day long until the next day or until the evening time. 
and then you make the rest of it right before you go to bed and then you get back into bed. <laughs> that would be an example. Another example, you go into the yard and you only concentrate on one square part of the yard and you clean that up and then you leave the rest. And then throughout the week, you you work on the rest of the until it's complete, right? Another thing, dishes. You only do a quarter of the dishes that day and then you come back to it the next day, all right? You see where I'm going with this, okay? So then I'm gonna ask the next, and I thought of this when you were talking, Derek and, and uh, Ben, is to, to us, those tasks may seem quite silly. It's like, well, just finish it. Take the extra 10 minutes to finish it. Why? Because those tasks are achievable within that 30 minutes of work. Can we say the same about composition? No, we cannot. Hence, we cannot expect our, that from ourselves to complete a composition in 30 minutes, an hour a day, two hours a day, four hours a day. That's time put in, but also not realistic. Why? Because we have day jobs. <laughs> two, we want to live our lives outside of just you know, writing the music thing, which is a beautiful thing, but we have other things we can do. My point being is I think the reason why we have such a hard time with the 10 minute thing is because we're expecting too much of ourselves. There's nothing wrong setting a high standard for ourselves. However, and I'm talking to myself mostly when I'm saying this because I have to do this almost constantly. Uh, and you guys just reminded me about it. It's kind of enlightening in a way. For the task, set the expectation where it's fair to you. And then have fun with it because then you'll be inspired more so that way. At least that's what I think might happen, you know. Just to add on a little quick thing that happened today, my students know that I play the flute instrument. And so they say, Professor Nav, can you play flute? We don't have any flute players in this ensemble. And this is one that I supervise and direct uh, a bunch of music education majors to learn how to conduct and rehearse. So I said, sure, why not? So I get up there and I get my flute bag and my mask and everything. And I start playing. And the first thing that I start doing is I start wanting it to be perfect because that's my expectation as a musician. And then I quickly remind myself, like, man, I can't play 16th notes right now. I still practice it. But then I, I get to the point where it's like, oh, realize that's too much to ask for myself right now. And then so then I put the flute away. It's, it's in my, it's in my um, office right now. But yeah, I'm not practicing that right now. So anyways, that was that's a, a, a good example of what just happened to me today. <laughs> Yeah, I like what you were talking about, Chris, when you're relating, giving that analogy of all these short projects that you just wouldn't finish a little bit of. And obviously, a composition is a much larger process. And so you can't expect yourself to compose, you know, an entire piece in 10 minutes. And I think it's important, you know, to first realize that, but then second, to establish yourself like steps and goals that are accomplishable in 10 minutes. And that's kind of where I think this 10 minute thing was coming from. So when you're sitting down, it's not necessarily, I'm going to compose for 10 minutes on this said piece and then leave it at half finished or quarter finished or whatever. It's more like, 
I'm going to sit down for 10 minutes and read about what is idiomatic for trumpet writing and what the ranges are and, and stuff like that. Like in, you, know, you can apply that to other instruments as well, but it's developing a skill that it will then contribute to the compositions later down the road. So I think that, you know, obviously there's going to be a time and a place for composition. You may have to add, you know, a, a bigger chunk of time if you really want to like get a good chunk out, but there's skills that you have to develop along the way. And the, these 10 minute, you know, a day segments can really help to contribute to the, to the greater project. The second thing I wanted to say is actually there is a difficulty in discipline because that takes, it takes effort. But if I think that's hard, then I won't do it. Or at least it could prohibit me from doing something that's actually simple. And so I guess I'm not really pushing back. I'm just more clarifying that I think that you're right, that there it's difficult because discipline is a difficult skill to learn. But in the actual application of it, it's a very simple thing. And if you think about it in simple terms, it's it really could help, I think, keep you motivated to stay with it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's partly discipline because, yes, we have to have the discipline to push ourselves to do the things we don't want to do if we know they're good for us or if it's if it's something we want to do. I mean, because we all have crappy days and we don't want to do anything. We want to be mindless and watch TV or watch the football game, the Thursday night football game, which I want to do tonight. <laughs> anyway, but I also think that it's it's not so much the discipline of sitting down in the room to do the 10 minute stretch and I'll we'll, I'll continue with the composing um idea it's the fact that i'm sitting down and i'm in 10 minutes i know i cannot contribute or i cannot produce something of the quality in which i want for myself to create and so what it then becomes is at least in our heads, do I want to sit down and write shit for 10 minutes? And and then it becomes not so much a discipline to say, I'm going to sit down and write shit for 10 minutes. It almost becomes a problem of courage or cowardice. Do I want to fight this battle with myself? Do I want to do I want to sit down and and put myself through this 10 minutes of what I'm going to perceive as hell for what, why am I doing this? Like, these are all the thoughts that are going to come into your head before you sit down. And then the real battle is, is just to sit down. It's not to make it through the 10 minutes. It's can I sit down? And then once you start writing, generally for me, my mind will clear and not, I don't compose. This is just for this analogy, but um, I think it's not so much even the the goal or the discipline of doing it. It then becomes, can I withstand a battle with the battle with myself just to sit down and to even begin? That's a lot of front loading. <laughs> well, it is, and I mean, of course, I'm I'm pulling from my own experience. Sure. Here and uh, not it may may not be relevant for everybody, but that's what it becomes to me. Absolutely. I mean, that's super relevant. Because that thoughts crossed my mind so many times. And 
I don't know what the answer is, but at least I'm going to attempt to try to make sense of it, at least in my mind. If it was me in those shoes and I was confronted with that, I'd imagine I'd, one, Ben, you said this earlier, is the fear of unknowing and how that can be overwhelming to the point where we don't even bother. Why bother? Then you talk about the courage to face with that, Derek. Am I going to choose that battle today or what am I going to do? Right. And at least the first thought that came into my mind is when I first started composing, let's just keep riding this composing train. I didn't have a process. And it wasn't until I met uh, Drew Zarimba, he, he gave me a, a way to do it. You know, and this can go in many different roads. It doesn't have to be in composition. It can be in teaching. It can be in how to practice your trumpet. It can be in anything, but shown a way, just a way, not the way, a way to do something. And it just made me have a little bit more comfort in, all right, I'm going to treat this like a routine. I'm going to check this off and do this thing, whether that's just right the head of the tune or create, figure out two chord changes that could continue the progression, you know, of the form. Anything like that, where you're, you're basically going down a checklist rather than trying to create something brand new. At least now I've objectified it, and that's totally fine to do in music, by the way, uh, to the point where it's like, cool, all right. We can put that away. I did that one task in that 10 minutes. And then that's one less task. I don't know. That's kind of where I'm coming from. I don't know if that's the answer. It's It, it might be a way to confront something like that. I don't know. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. The The whole process thing, like that's, and it makes me think about, you know, writing a long research paper. And if you've never done that process before and you're just thrown into it, like that's, you know, where do you start? And I think that that you're, you're exactly right. Like, you know, that contributes to the fear of the unknown that contributes to the lack of motivation or discipline to follow through on a project is not having that checklist, not having that process established. Uh, it can really set you back. And it's very difficult to seek out and learn those processes yourself. But, you know, with some of these things, it can be as simple as searching a YouTube video for a process. Like if it's sound design, search up sound design on YouTube, see what other people have done and they can explain like those that's, that's kind of the thing like within our day and ages, there's just so much resource out there for us that a lot of times a simple Google or YouTube search can reveal a process to your exact problem because I mean, it's almost guaranteed that if you're having a problem, someone else has had that problem before. So, yeah, I agree, Chris. That's that's an excellent observation. And I think that having a process probably will greatly increase your chances of following through on a project. Well, first of all, I, I absolutely agree. And I think really it's just the breaking down of the process and turning it into even more manageable things. If 10 minutes, if just the idea of sitting down to a blank page for 10 minutes is overwhelming enough to cause any of the feelings we've already talked about, or just to make you not do it, then 
you can continue to break it down farther you with the research paper example okay you have to write a research paper well what if you were to break that down to a simpler step what are you doing well you're researching and then you're writing okay if you're researching what are you really doing you're going to learn information formulate an idea okay what do you mean you're learning information i'm going to read a book okay what book are you going to read this book okay read it right and just by breaking it down you can kind of you can kind of pull some of the unknown out you can shave the unknown off the sides until you get to this actionable thing okay i have to do this and whether that's something you have to do or something you want to do and really that's the same thing as you know having a process but i mean it's like you're going to sit down and write something for 10 minutes and you're just going to look at a blank page and you're just going to write shit like i said earlier but if you say oh i'm going to write a chord or two chords I'm going to write a melody for that measure. I'm going to write a phrase. I'm going to write a three-bar phrase for this instrument. Then at least it can get you in the process and then allow you, hopefully open you up to be creative afterwards. Once you get past, I guess, maybe the general starting anxiety, if you're having any. So yeah, I absolutely agree. That's a long-winded way of me saying yes. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's get out of the abstract a little bit. And why don't we talk about what what are the actual creative projects we are working on? So, uh, Chris, why don't you start? Sure. The most recent project that I have right on the docket, I mean, it's going to be very recent, is creating these unique arrangements for my doctorate recital. Uh, and I'm doing it in the theme of New Orleans music. And my my purpose of this is not just only attacking or featuring New Orleans music by New Orleans musicians, but connecting this concept of old to new. All right. And I'm doing that through arranging the music, pieces that have already been written, um, and going to do it with six pieces, and each of them will be orchestrated in a different way that are unique from themselves for example um everybody all trumpet players know the tune west end blues uh king joe oliver wrote that one and it's known mostly from louis armstrong's opening cadenza uh and what most trumpet players play and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that tune and then I'm going to go on a journey, if you will. I'm going to play it in the style of uh, more of like a Christian Scott, Robert Glasper That vibe. sounds exciting. Yes, I know. It's super left. And But I'm also arranging it in a way to make sure that the original recording, at least some of the concepts in the original recording, such as where the trumpet and tenor echo, echo the melody from each other, how the rhythm section plays a certain role in that, um, the different improvisational solos that take place uh, in the instrumentation are still intact. As of course, the cadenza and the ending and the form of the tune are intact, but bridging the gap between the old style and the new. So that's an example of one of the songs that I'm doing. Yeah, so how did you get into 
into that music why why did this become the subject of a of a full-on project and a recital sure sure so at least what i've been explained is the da recital we have two of them one the the first one i've been told is to demonstrate your abilities as a trumpet player and a jazz musician and the second one because jazz comp uh, composition is my secondary it, that one's more of a creative project that still demonstrates my ability as a player and musician but also to demonstrate more of my creative compositional styles so this first one it being focused towards arrangements and my playing ability I thought well Let's do something fun. Let's do something informative. Let's do something that nobody else has really touched on because most most recitals focus on um, either doing a record or doing uh, a compilation of all their favorite, you know, songs or or just focusing on one artist or whatever like that. I'm focusing on a specific I don't know if you want to qualify it as a genre of music or should I just say style of music? Um, so that's where my thought came in. New Orleans came up Two, it's like, well, okay, that's, that's surface level. Second level, what am I going to do with this music? What can I do unique? Well, I wasn't born in that era, so <laughs> maybe I can uh, attach my more modern stuff. Okay. Because I can play in both styles kind of well. All right. That's a good thing. And then three is continuing the tradition, the, the musical New Orleans tradition of self-expression. And I think that's such a cool thing. And that will be the third layer, if you will, which almost is a given for any style of jazz music, but I want to make sure that that's very obvious when I do this project. Well, we spoke a little bit about process earlier when we were giving a hypothetical analogy. So could you maybe talk us through what your process is for when you're actually working on a project like this? For something like this, uh, I've been in collaboration with uh, my lesson teacher, Sean Williams, and he and I, he, he's, he's great. He's, he's very uh, supportive when it comes to ideas. And so we started brainstorming some ideas. Luckily for me, I already had a few in mind. I think I gave up like three or four different concepts of what concerts I could do. I think one of them was an album record. One of them was an artist feature, like just doing all music with Marsalis or something like that. Another one, I think, had to do with um, tunes that were completely opposite. So doing an array of style. Another one was doing like a beginning to end kind of vibe where I start with the first trumpet player, jazz trumpet player, and then migrate to more modern and just play the timeline of trumpet players. Anyways. Started off with ideas and I picked the New Orleans one. And from there, we we talked, we collaborated as far as different ideas of what that could look like. From there, I just met weekly with him and refined 
a set list of tunes that balance each other. Uh, so we pick the tunes at that point. And from there, I individually created event plans uh, for each song. And event plans, for those who don't know, are a start to finish of what the song will look like written down in prose. So uh, I did that. So this would include the introduction, the exposition, the the development, the recapitulation, and then the coda. So from there, um, I wrote them down, and then I just started weekly with Sean as I would write as much as I can within that week, show it to him. He'll tell me like, man, this is, this is a lot. This is a lot of stuff you wrote. He's all like, let's, let's, let's not throw in the whole kitchen sink. <laughs> that happens so many times, but you need somebody to check your work like that because it's so easy to, you know, as they say, um, you don't know what you look like until you have a bird's eye view of yourself, you know, or you have an identical twin that yes, <laughs> or that uh, <laughs> nice. But, but that's, that's basically what happened. And he, he helped me through, he's all like, that's really cool. I like what you're doing there, but it's kind of, it's not clear. Can you write it in a clearer way? And I said, yes. And, um, so I would change it and adjust it with the same vibe that I was initially going for. And, and as a result, it would clean up. And then on, and the second thing is I would stumble across new ideas because he would just say like, Hey, check this recording out or check this out. And I would, and he would give me strategies on how to learn it better or more efficiently. And then I just move on to the next song and just do it that way. I really like that. That kind of brings in another element of preparation and follow through on a project that we didn't really discuss earlier. And that's having a mentor, you know, we didn't really talk about the collaboration of bringing in more people on a project to either oversee or contribute and how that can affect the, the drive to finish or to keep improving. Yeah. Those project managers, you know, as long as it's set up ahead of time and it could be friends too, you know, having somebody there just to check you once in a while, you know, they know your, your intention and you trust them and they trust you. That's really important because this is such a personal project. You know, it's your voice, if you will. Uh, you're trusting them to give you honest feedback. And, uh, and I will say my teachers, all my teachers have been great that way. I've been very lucky where they won't just like take the idea and just throw it right back in my face. Or they'll just say, that was dumb. You know, why, why would you even bother learning it that way? You know, that's, it, it can be very hurtful and backwards of the goal. You know, So I wish I could hear it too, but I know I'm out of town when you're here, when you're giving that recital, oh, no. I'm out, I'm out of town at David's. I will be playing at Milliken. He and teaching planned that on purpose. Yeah, I think he planned on that. He's trying to drive a wedge. <laughs> Classic David. He's not here to defend himself, so it's even better. So, Ben, what about you? What are, are you working on anything? So, yeah, like I, like I said earlier, I tend to have a, a bunch of different projects that I like to get into. And, you know, the one that I'd say that I've continued the most is actually, again, similar to Chris. It was my project for... 
uh, my dissertation and uh, which was transcribing music from the romantic era for piccolo trumpet so the idea was to expand the repertoire that we have for piccolo trumpet with styles as well involving more styles for the piccolo trumpet specifically which i have done all the trumpet parts i've made all the arrangements for the trumpet parts and i've done the piano parts for a couple of them as well and that's basically what i'm doing right now i'm working through arranging the piano parts and some of them are more easy than others uh, it's more straightforward like i did a lot of the sonatas i think actually there's only one sonata anyways for the sonatas you know the the piano part is pretty much going to remain the same it's just arranging it for anything i may have adjusted in the trumpet part dynamics to compensate for again we're playing with a trumpet now instead of an oboe so there's dynamics for the piano may have to be different so there's all these little things that you have to consider uh, since it's a different instrument even if i you know if i maybe take the melody down in one place or if i actually lend the melody to the piano which isn't so much in a sonata that i would but in other of the projects i've had to and then i have some of these projects that are you know the original composition was an orchestral part for the accompaniment and so generally speaking there's piano reductions on all of that but you know there's there's a lot to consider there so and that's kind of where i get held up in my progress is when i get to those orchestral parts it's like it's slow going it's tough to you know make all those decisions but that's one of the creative processes that i've been going through i don't really think of it too much as an artistic project just because i mean it is it is but some of it is also kind of very straightforward and mundane feeling so it doesn't really feel creative if that makes any kind of sense so that's the big one that i have going on and i have a lot of little other things that are not even music related uh, although i do do a lot of electronic music in addition to that so there's a lot there's a lot that i do but again it's just kind of like I haven't really followed through to the completion of any one of them. <laughs> so that is a challenge. Man, you said that it doesn't feel creative or anything like that. I felt like that when I did this, it was just a gig. It's, it's one, a gig that I, that I put on. It's just a Lee Morgan set uh, that I played at a local brewery. But uh, basically we did, you know, I pulled songs from 20 different records uh, that I scanned through and picked like 10 of them. And it felt like I was just playing the record. It, it felt like, okay, it's super mundane. And it's just literally, I'm not arranging anything special or anything like that. But man, I think it's great that you're putting, we are putting content out there, even though it's been, it's not necessarily like new, but it's, it's, we're putting it out there still. You know, and at least I tell myself this is like it's better to put something out there with good quality, regardless if it's like the most creative thing or the most like, hey, I'm tip my hat to this record, you know, kind of a thing or stuff that's already been established. I think it's important that it, I think it's so cool that people still do that. And I think it's important that it, people continue to do that. Um because it creates this awareness of like, oh, people are doing stuff. That's that's good. That's a I think that's good enough. You know, speaking of putting things out there, 
Most commonly, when we hear that phrase, people are talking about social media nowadays anyway. And so, you know, I just want to ask, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward question, but I want to ask the two of you. Do you think that we need to be putting stuff out on social media? I mean, Chris, in your case, what from what you were just, the example you just gave us, you were talking about putting things out there was in the context of you creating a show and putting it on at a local brewery. If we were to extend that to social media, do you think that's something that we need to be participating in? Or can it just be putting out content anywhere to our community, more local based, or do we need to be having this presence on social media? I think that it depends on how impactful do you want it to, if, if it's something that, for example, this live performance thing, we were going to do a follow-up recording as a way to put on a virtual level, if you will, more to where it would stream out that way. But the live performing purpose was, yeah, we'll create a social media event page for people to see like, oh, come to this live event. That's the whole part of this because you can't capture all that stuff on, on social media. There's a disconnect from live performances to recordings, you know, um, that can't be explained. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. But um, I'd say it depends on the project, you know. Uh, I I would say like this DA thing that I'm pursuing in the due dates in December is – I would definitely love to record it and have it on tape, but then also know that that live performance will be something special in its own way, you know? Uh, and if I live stream it, then that's a way I can promote it. If I feel that it's worthy of live streaming, hopefully it is, you know, I, I that's where my thoughts are at. Yeah. I think that it does depend on the project. And I think it also depends on intent you know, if you're hesitant to put something on social media because you think that it's just going to be like, you know, look at me and there's nothing really of substance beyond that, you know, then maybe personally that's not a good reason to put something on social media. But if you're trying to just share the, you know, either the talent or whatever it is message wise that you you've done through a project or in your plane, I think those are really good reasons to share. So you know, intent, I think definitely contributes to whether or not you post. But again, you know, that's going to be a personal decision. And I don't think that the lack of posting on social media is necessarily a bad thing. I just think that it kind of depends on on your own intent behind it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, it is one of those things, you know, we all go on social media and we can see the videos where especially as trumpet players if you if you follow enough trumpet players you're gonna see a lot of videos when it's like okay you had a good chop day or okay here's a thing you were practicing forever for a long time and and that's all fine and dandy but you can tell which ones are okay i'm trying to show here's this thing i can do today and i'm gonna make a video and post it and then you can tell which ones are okay this is a prod this is a project that this person clearly has put a lot of energy and passion behind and a lot of feeling and caring. And those are the ones that we watch, you know, the ones that always stick in my head is like Caleb Hudson has posted some videos of him, some recordings he's done 
um, doing solo works, like some solo pick stuff in it. Every time I've watched it multiple times because it's like, wow. Well, one, just the technical and sound and all that. But it's also like, okay, he's playing so musically how he clearly cares and um, is very passionate about this music, about this instrument and, um, and putting that out there for people to see. And, and I think you're right. As long as it's something like that, then, you know, then it's all, it's all worth it. And it's not going to contribute to the negative side of social media. Uh, that's such a great point, Derek. And I think when, when you're discussing, you know, the preparation behind a project and how like you can really tell when someone is showing something because it's been a process. It's been something that they're proud of in that like it's not just a good chop day. This is a very cool artistic project I want to post or this is a skill that I've been working really hard for and this is how I did it. It's it's hard to encapsulate all of that in one post. And I think what's really cool is when you show the process you show the process from the beginning to the end of how you developed, because then that's really, you know, that's really exposing, you know, the struggles that you've gone through. And somebody that comes to mind immediately is Ryan Beach, and he does Trumpet Podcast as well. It's not spit, it's condensation. And one of the things that he did, I actually have watched him on Twitch, where he was preparing for the job that he actually has now. And he was showing all the excerpts that he was learning and the process that he did for learning. And he plugged away every single day, just going at it in that process, like just seeing someone, you know, work really hard towards a conclusion of a project and to see them get, you know, rewarded for that is amazing. Like that is actually just amazing to see that whole thing from start to end. So a big shout out to Ryan Beach and for him actually winning that job at Alabama Symphony. So again, like that to me, Derek, is the bigger point here. Showing the process can be a very enlightening thing, not just for yourself to look back upon, but for so many other people. And it's encouraging and it's motivating. So those are all great reasons to post on social media. Well, that's going to wrap things up for us today. I hope you guys got something out of this. It's it's really fun to just be able to discuss these projects with each other and uh, kind of get an insight into the process behind it for us. So we're going to wrap here. If you have any questions or comments about the things that we've talked about today or anything else for that matter, you can reach us at OurTrumpetLife at gmail.com or you can check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Have a good week and see you next time.